What is up, guys? My name is KJ, short for Khalil Jones, and this is Why Theology. So glad to be with you guys back on this Thursday afternoon, where I'm currently residing in my homely abode in Arkansas. And here in Arkansas right now, it's currently snowing and icing outside. So I've been trapped inside. And I was like, why not release a podcast episode? I've been reading uh, Calvin's Institute, and I wanted the, the chapters in the book was his thoughts on the Trinity. And so I've been studying more on the Trinity and finding out that um, I wasn't actually articulating the Trinity correctly the way the Bible describes. I'm sure many other Christians in the world pretty probably much do the same thing as well. And so I was like, why not drop a podcast episode to maybe encourage a church to see what the Bible really says about the Trinity and see if that does our definition of Trinity match up with the Bible's definition. And so I'll title this episode, The Reformed Understanding of the Trinity. So again, today's episode will be The Reformed Understanding of the Trinity. Now, if you don't know about this man by the name of Athanasius, he was a very um, brilliant Christian in early church history. And um, in early church history, there's this teaching known as Arianism. And Arianism, it basically claimed that Jesus Christ was a created being. Uh, he was a, he never existed in eternity past, but rather he was created. And so obviously kind of denies the deity of Christ. So you can, you can basically articulate it such as this, the Arianism is the view that Jesus is a finite creative being with some divine attributes, but he's not eternal and not divine in and of himself, which obviously goes against John chapter one. We see that Jesus is God. And so Arianism will go against this again, attacking the deity of Christ. And so a man by the name of Athanasius, he would go on to kind of teach us, will teach the Arian people that hold to that teaching, the contradictions in that view and the false errors of that view based on what the Bible says. And so he actually has a creed named by him that was written around 290, Three to three seven three A.D. and in that creed we see this right here, what he used to kind of show the deity of Christ, but also um, explaining the Trinity. Well, actually, it wasn't him; it was Christians coming up with this uh, this creed, but they named after him. I meant to say, but this is what they say in that creed: It says, "We worship one God in Trinity, and the Trinity in Unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person; the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is still another." But the divinity of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated. The Son is uncreated. The Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable. The Son is immeasurable. The Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal. The Son is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. And yet there are not three eternal beings. There is but one eternal being. So, too, there are not three uncreated and measurable beings. There is but one uncreated and measurable being. Similarly, the Father is almighty. The Son is almighty. The Holy Spirit is almighty. Yet there are not three almighty beings. There is but one almighty being. Thus, the Father is God. The Son is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods. There is but one God. Thus, the Father is Lord. The Son is Lord. The Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet there are not three lords. There is but one Lord. Now, you take all that in, the question is, what were they talking about, right? And one of the, the key factors I like to bring out of this creed is they make a clear distinction between the word being and the word person with their strict use of those words throughout the creed. And so I'm going to highlight that today and use that as a springboard to launch us into this episode again on the form understanding of the Trinity. So again, notice the key differences throughout the creed. You can go back and listen to what I just said, rewind a couple of seconds. Listen to the distinction they make between the word being and the word person. Now the Baptist Catechism also helps us understand this a little bit better as well, the Trinity. Question number eight, it asks, are there more gods than one? 
And every Christian in the world should know there is only one and living true God. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Jeremiah 10, 10 says this, But the Lord is a true God. He is a living God and everlasting king. In his wrath, the earth will tremble, and the nations will not be able to endure his alienation. Now, one of the basic key components of Christianity is the fact that Christianity is monotheistic. We believe and worship one God, but we also see in Scripture the three persons of the Godhead known as the Trinity all throughout the Bible, especially in works in our salvation. That's also why I believe Keech in his catechism goes a little bit farther in question nine. He states this, how many persons are there in the Godhead? And the answer is there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. And these three are one God, the same in essence or being in equal in power and glory. And one of the verses that he gave is 1 John 5, 7. Let me go there real quick. Uh, the other verse he also gives is Matthew 28, verse 19. I'll read that one first. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so you see the distinction of the persons within the Trinity right there on display. Now, the second verse that um, Kichi uses is 1 John 5, 7. It says, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Now you see um, in both the Athanasius Creed and the particular Baptist Catechism or Baptist Catechism, how you want to say Keech's Catechism, <laughs> they both, um, they seem to be making a distinction between this one in being or this one in essence and the, the distinction between the persons. And I believe because there is a distinction between the being of God and the persons of God. Now, if you have not read uh, James White's book on the Forgotten Trinity, it's a very good read. And it's also a very good resource to help you understand the Trinity more beyond this podcast episode. And I also recommend um, John Calvin Institute on the chapter of the Trinity. And so I'll be borrowing a lot of the terminology used in both those books to help with this episode. Now, again, the very first thing that I will tackle is the word being, how to properly um, define that according to the Bible. Now, the word being, it means to exist. So everything that exists has being, i.e. it exists. So a rock, for example, it has the being of a rock. It exists. A tree, it has the being of a tree. Therefore, it exists. A dog, it also exists and has the being of a dog. Humans, we're called human beings. So mankind are human beings. Therefore, we exist. Again, everything that exists has a being to it. But here's the kicker. Everything that, that has being or exists is not personal. A rock is not personal. A tree is not personal. So even though a rock has being to it, what separates a human from a rock is that humans are personal. And the Bible also tells us that there are three beings who are personal, apart from other beings. That is God, mankind, and angels. So human and angels have being. They exist and they are personal like a rock and a tree. Are there other beings that exist? Everything else that exists in the world, they're not personal. Unlike the three things I just mentioned, God mankind and angels but since they are created beings they are limited and finite inner being unlike god who is a divine being who is unlimited infinite his being which we'll get into in a little bit but humans and angels being is limited to just one place geographically and in one time temporarily so they are limited to only one place at one time such is the essence of being a creature that is created so my being as a human is shared by only one person me my being, because it is limited, cannot be distributed among two, three, or even more persons. Because I am one being, I am one person. So that's what it means to be human. Same for angels. So even though we're physical angels and spiritual, they're still both created. We're, we're still both created. 
and this is where we kind of get into the the creator creature distinction so we'll get ready to talk about how god the creature is distinct from his creation in this aspect of his being so god unlike his creation that's finite and limited there is a distinction because god is infinite and unlimited in his being so there is a again a distinction between the two god's being is infinite and unlimited therefore he can in a completely beyond our comprehension way he can be sure fully about three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as he pleases. Because again, he's unlimited in his being. He's infinite in his being. And we're not. This is what's one of the areas that separates us from the creator, the distinction. And this is what we mean when we speak of the being of God. God is one of his beings. So hopefully that's kind of the terminology there was kind of helpful. So again, the word being means to exist. And everything that exists has a being to it. But everything that exists or everything that has being is not personal. We talked about earlier. There are only three things that are personal. The Bible tells us is God, angels, and man. But those two things I just mentioned, angels and man, they're limited in their being and finite. Whereas God, the creator, the creator creature distinction, he's distinct from his creation again. His being is distinct from his creation. He is an unlimited being. Well, the Bible tells us how he's a divine being. Therefore, his being is unlimited and infinite. So hopefully that's a little helpful again. Now, what do we mean by the, the word persons? Um, the confession and the creed said that God is one in essence or one in his being. But there's one God is rhythm seven, three persons. So what do we mean when we say persons? Now, the first thing that we have to deal with is that when you think of a person, you typically could be human, obviously a person, a personal being. Right. So my name is KJ. I may have some. I may have a friend named Billy, and there may be a girl called Street named Shelly. We're three unique, different persons. But let's not limit the word "persons" to human, I guess, definitions on God as a three persons, because that's not what the Bible intends as persons within that definition that we talked about. God being one of His being between His persons. So don't put human limitations on God, because again, there's a creature creator distinction or creator creature distinction. Now, paragraph three of the Baptist Confession states this. I think it's chapter three of the, of, um, the Baptist Confession. It says, in the divine infinite being, there are three substances, the Father, the Word, or the Son, and the Holy Spirit, of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is none of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally, eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son, all infinite without the beginning, therefore but one God, who is not to be divided in nature, being but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations. So notice how the confession, it uses the word substances. I probably said that word wrong, but it's okay. <laughs> substances. Now the word is similar to the word ascetity, as it means to uphold oneself by one's own power. Uh, we speak of God's ascetity, how he sustains himself by his own power. Humans, for example, we need food, water, and air to live. But before God created all those things, food, water, and air didn't exist. But you see how God still existed. Therefore, God sustained himself by his own power. Again, another distinction from the creator and his creatures. God sustained himself by his own power. But that's not what the word means here, the way the confession states. But just to go a little bit further, um, in paragraph one of the same chapter, uh, the confession used the word subsistence again to refer to ascetity. It says, the Lord our God is but one living and true God who subsists in and of himself. But again, I mean, as I mentioned, that's not how the word is used here. 
I believe the word is used here in the confession to properly identify the persons within the Godhead. So we see in Matthew 3, you guys remember when Jesus got baptized, the Father was in heaven speaking. Uh, this is my beloved son, how well please. Jesus is getting physically baptized. And then when he got baptized and came up, the Bible then tells us that there was a spirit that came up like a dove. And so there you see all three persons of the Godhead. And all throughout scripture, we see how the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. But yet, Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. And so um, Christians in church history being very careful and articulate with their words, terminologies, not to fall into heresy, um, but they have typically used the word persons. But um, a lot of people in the reformed theology world, they use the word subsistence. And again, that word subsistence is used to identify the distinctions within the Godhead. So there is a distinction between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They are distinguished from one another, and yet these three distinctions should not lead to a division in the one being that is God. So again, there is again a personal distinction between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit by what many theologians sometimes speak of as incommunicable attributes that each person possesses in the Trinity. But this distinction should not lead to division. And the confession actually teaches us that within the one being that is God, there exists eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons named the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So to simplify all that, we can say something lines of this, that God is one of his being, and he has chosen to reveal himself to creation through three persons or substances who have always existed and turned to pass, undivided and ungodly power. John Gill, in his body of divinity, he was a reformed Baptist guy, he states this, there is but one divine essence, undivided and common to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And in this sense, but one God, since there is but one essence, though there are different modes of subsisting in which are called persons, these possess the whole essence undivided. That is to say, not that the Father has one part, the Son another, and the Holy Spirit has a third, but as the whole fullness of the Godhead dwells in the Father, so in the Son, who has all that the Father has, and so in the Spirit, and therefore but one God. So the divine being is one, divine persons are three. The Father is in full possession of the entire divine essence. The Son is in full possession of the entire divine essence. And the Spirit, once again, is in full possession of the entire divine essence. So there is not three different essences, nor is it one essence divided equal to thirds. So each divine person is in full possession of the entire divine nature. So hopefully that aspect is helpful. In Lewis Burkhoff's uh, Systematic Theology book, he um, talks about the Trinity. And in that book, he has five points as regards to the Trinity. And I'll quote these five points as a good summary to kind of bring us to an end or a close. Uh, the first point, as it relates to the Trinity, he states this, there is in the divine being, but one individual essence. Point two, he states, in this one divine being, there are three persons or individual substances, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He then states in point three, the whole undivided essence of God belongs equally to each of the three persons. And in point four, the subsistence and operation of three persons of the divine being is marked by a certain definite order. And then lastly, point five, he states, there are certain personal attributes by which the three persons are distinguished. I say that to say, um, hopefully that was kind of helpful. Um, the five points that he just stated, it's the tie-in to the teaching I just taught the last 15 minutes. And then Jane White in his book, The Forgotten Trinity, he states, I'm tremendously bothered when someone comes along and says, Jesus is not God, or there are other gods out there. You see, such statements are untrue, and they dishonor the God who made me and them. We are naturally jealous of the truth about those we love be known. We are hurt when they are lied about or misrepresented or mistreated. The same has to be true of our feelings about God. 
We should, if we truly love him in his truth, be impacted by denial of the truths he has revealed about himself. I say all that, or I guess I quote both Louis Burkhoff and uh, James White in his Forgotten Trinity book to summarize this statement. I believe it's true that someone can be saved and not properly define the Trinity correctly, but someone cannot be saved and not a proper understanding of the Trinity. Uh, Jesus states in John 8, verse 24, Therefore I said to you that you would die in your sins, for you do not believe that I am he, you would die in your sins. So again, let me rephrase that, or let me restate it. I say this because people, Christians, someone can profess Jesus or profess to be a Christian and not properly de define the word Trinity, but someone cannot be a Christian or someone cannot be saved and not understand the true meaning of the Trinity or the proper understanding of the Trinity. And again, that verse in John 8 tells us that unless you believe in the correct God, you will die in your sins. There is not another God out there or other gods that you need to put your faith, you need to put your faith in. Jesus, obviously the Bible tells us, but you need to put your faith in the one true God who is in one being and really several three persons. And then we also have today uh, three teachings that believe in heretical things, heretical doctrines that lead to damnation if one holds to these teachings about the Trinity and put their faith in these false gods. Um, the three teachings that we know as is modalism, Arianism, and tritheism. Now modalism is probably the most famous teaching of heresies, I should say, heretical teachings that can lead to damnation. It teaches that God, success of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is not simultaneously the Father, Son, and Spirit. There is not a distinction. They say that this, um, the one divine being switches modes. So for example, um, the God of the Old Testament is a father in the incarnation, God manifests himself in Jesus and after resurrection, he came as a spirit or by mode as a spirit. In many of the most common illustrations that people use that are modalists, I think Martin Luther King, he quoted this, it may have been him, but many people hold to this view. They say that water is a substance, water can be a liquid, a liquid but if it freezes, it becomes a, um, a solid, which is known as ice. And if that solid is heated to a high temperature, it becomes ice, uh, not ice, um, gas. And so water, again, can be both a liquid, a solid, and a gas. And so you see how water changes modes, but it's still one substance. Another illustration that people use who will hold to modalists are, is the, the one man illustration. I say a, a, one man can be both a husband, a father, and a brother, but yet this one man has different roles that he's living out in his husband, father, and brother. But yet both those illustrations deny what the Bible teaches us about the Trinity. So these illustrations teach the heresy because they don't properly distinguish the three persons of the Trinity and how they exist simultaneously all throughout scripture. And again, we mentioned earlier, the, this, um, the verse I quoted earlier was the baptism of Jesus. We see how Jesus got baptized and the father in heaven was talking. And yet when he came out of the water, the spirit descended upon the dove. And so you see all three persons of the Trinity on display at once. And we also see when Jesus, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he prayed. And so you see, uh, he prayed to the father. And so you see how um, the Bible clearly reveals to us the three persons converse with each other simultaneously. Now, the second view that many hold today that's heresy as well is Arianism. Now, I already talked about what Arianism is, but to shorten our time about this teaching, again, it's the belief that denies the deity of Jesus Christ. They taught that Jesus was a created being. And the reason they had was because the Bible, again, Deuteronomy 6, 4, teaches us how, G how God is one. The hero is where we hold the Lord that God is one. And so they held that because God is one, 
Jesus could not have been truly God. And so they believe that he was God's first and chief creation. That's how he was able to do miracles and things of that nature because God gives him all these things, abilities, but he was not God himself. A lot of people don't know this actually, but many people who are actually all Jehovah Witnesses believe this today, the same teaching of Arianism. They deny the deity of Christ. But they actually go a step further. They say Christ is not God, but rather God's first created creature. So, for example, many Jehovah's Witnesses will say how Jesus is the archangel of Michael, who is mentioned in the Old Testament. He is not, and also they also deny the spirit being a divine being as well. And so you see how this teaching of Arianism leads to heresy. It didn't lead you to believe in the correct Jesus. And a few passages that can easily be used to refute these teachings, obviously in a loving way. Is a first John 5 7. I read it earlier, but it says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. John 1, verse 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And from my most my favorite verse, Philippians 2, 5 and 6, let this be in mind in which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in a former God, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. Did not consider Robert to be equal to God. Now the word form here in Greek is the word morphe. And morphe can be translated as nature or essence. And we spoke earlier how God is one of his being, yet three in persons. But the person, the word person should not be used to say that there are three separate individuals, but rather the word person helps us identify the distinction between the Father, His Son, and the Spirit, who all possess the one essence of the being of God, equally undivided. So this verse teaches that Jesus possessed or is in full possession of the entirety of the divine essence, yet the distinction as the son, the, per the second person of Godhead should not lead to a division of the one being that is God. But again, rather the nature and essence of God is full possession of all three persons of God. Yet Jesus, when he became a man, did not cling to his divinity. Not that he ceased being God, but he limited himself from tapping his divine essence to fulfill the role of salvation the Trinity had established in eternity past. And so all three of those verses can be used to refute the teaching of Jehovah's Witnesses and also Arianism. Now, lastly, uh, tritheism is the teaching. Uh, it's a third teaching, again, the third heretical view that people hold today. But again, tritheism is the teaching that the Trinity consists of three equal, independent, and autonomous beings, each of whom is divine. So tritheism is stressed the plurality of Godhead, but they, we'll talk about the error in it. So like uh, the most famous illustration that people try to use who hold triatism is the, the egg illustration. How with an egg, you have three parts. You have the yolk, the white, and the shell, yet all together is one egg. Another illustration that people hold to this teaching is uh, the apple. You have the fruit skin, the flesh, and a seed, all comprised of the apple. So just as the Father, Son, and Spirit are all comprised of God. And then lastly, people use a three-leaf clover. So the clover is a single plant and one steam and three leaves. Now, all three of these illustrations fall short because God cannot be divided in parts. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one in essence, but the same cannot be said for the shell, yolk, and white of an egg. So all three of these illustrations um, fail. And not just all three of these illustrations, but all three of these teachings fail. So again, someone can be saved and not properly define the Trinity, but no one can be saved and not put their faith in the correct understanding of the Trinity, the correct God. That's why that passage in John 8, 24 is so important. You must believe in the right Jesus. You must believe in the right God. 
And so my hopes today is that maybe somebody here will put their faith in the right God. The Bible says the triune God of all eternity past is holy. Isaiah 6 says God is holy, holy, holy. Um, earlier I mentioned how there's a creator-creator distinction between God and man. Another one of those distinctions is God is holy. Three times the word holy is used to identify how the Father is holy, the Son is holy, and the Spirit is holy. And yet the Bible also teaches how mankind is unholy. Now, God has 613 laws that he requires us to keep, but yet nobody in history can keep those laws. And even if you want to keep all 613, all those laws can be summarized in 10, the Ten Commandments. And actually, those 10 can be summarized in two. Love God all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if God, he would just limit the standard to just those two commandments, to love God all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, nobody can go to heaven because nobody at all times loved God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And the second of it, nobody has always perfectly loved their neighbor as himself. So and that alone would eliminate the entire creation of mankind entering heaven. But God's eternal plan, the triune God, they discussed um, a plan within themselves to offer redemption to mankind. And this redemption plan was to send the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, into the world to be the Messiah who would deliver the people of God from their sins. The Bible says if you turn from sin and put your faith in this Jesus, the correct Jesus, who is both God and man, who was able to do miracles and he died and rose again, you will be saved. And this is the gospel message right here, to believe in Jesus Christ and the person, the work of who Jesus is again. So hopefully this message is encouraging and maybe you leave learning, learning more about the Trinity.